Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Hokie Hangover Podcast. I am Andrew Alex from ESPN Blacksburg. That's 93.1 in the New River Valley and online at ESPNBlacksburg.com and the ESPN Blacksburg app. Alongside of me, my normal crew from what I assume is his regular Marriott hotel room in Columbus, Ohio. Here's Mike McDaniel. Mike, what's going on, buddy? Never ends, man. Never ends. Back in a hotel room. The nine to five grind don't stop, Mike, but hey, neither does the free breakfast. From the 757, Ricky LeBlue joins us. Ricky, how are you? I'm doing well. Mike, have you been to a hotel yet in Columbus that hasn't had free breakfast? And if so, did you book that hotel or was it booked for you? I'll tell you what, man. You stay in as many hotels as I do. It's always free breakfast, baby. Okay. That, I'm just making sure that you were you were doing it properly. I figured you would, but... It's only one way to do it, man. <laughs> Mike has more hotel rewards points than I have dollars in my bank account. And I'll, I'll guarantee that. How about that? <laughs> I, I won't disagree. Whoa, whoa. All right. And it's the truth. That's not a shot. Hey, that's not a shot, Andrew. It's more of a testament to how many points I have. Unless I had like a million dollars in my bank account, which I can promise you I don't. As always, we come under interesting circumstances. The Hokies traveled to South Bend, Indiana to play Notre Dame. Definitely interesting circumstances. The boys played pretty well. Obviously, they come up short against Notre Dame, a game-winning drive by the Irish, though Tech had been up. The refs played an interesting role in the entire thing. Play calling, Quincy Patterson, we will get to all of it. I will say, I just want to know how you guys are feeling about this game, right? Because... Yes, if they had won, it would have gained them some clout to be the first ACC team to go to Notre Dame and beat a ranked fighting Irish team since the ACC Notre Dame contract was signed. At the same time, you know, they would have gotten into the top 25 in all likelihood, but the loss doesn't sting the same way that a loss in the ACC Coastal would. Ricky LeBlue, I want to ask you first. How do you feel about this game? What are your thoughts? Are you mad? Are you are you disappointed? What is your take on the game? I'm what encouraged. Uh, Virginia Tech, I mean, let's be honest. Virginia Tech isn't really competitive in this game unless Rayshard Ashby, Rayshard Ashby puts his helmet on a football. Uh, that kind of swung the entire momentum of the game. But Virginia Tech played really uh, up to Notre Dame's talent level. I didn't expect Virginia Tech to be leading for most of this game, and yet they did. Uh, it's obviously going to be a bit deflating given the fact that they gave up two 80-plus yard drives uh, in the fourth quarter, one of which resulted in a game-winning touchdown. But ultimately, I think when you look from look at this game, you have to pull away some positives, right? Virginia Tech's defense played relatively well and played really good, good solid football for three and a half quarters. Uh, the offense 
was not very good. Obviously, Quincy Patterson has a long way to go in his development, but considering Quincy's probably had one to two weeks of first-team reps in this offense this year, I think he played decent. Um, Virginia Tech isn't quite there with Quincy Patterson in the lineup, but all things considered, I'm pretty encouraged, actually. Mike, how about you? Yeah, I think it's hard not to come away a little bit encouraged. I mean, look, Virginia Tech's not in this game a month ago, right? Like, let, let's call it what it is. I mean, even though Virginia Tech gets outgained by 200 yards, even though without that Rayshard Ashby fumble, like Ricky mentioned, like, Tech is not in a position to even really um, come close to winning this game uh, because offensively it was such a struggle. They were battling uphill, right? As soon as Quincy Patterson was going to start this football game, they were going to be inherently limited in both play calling number one, which is receiving a lot of criticism from some people within the fan base, which I don't, I look, I'm the last person to be sitting here defending Brad Cornelson. You guys know, I've been pretty critical of the play calling, but you're inherently limited when you go into a game with a quarterback, who's not necessarily the best thrower of the football yet. He's still relatively early in his development, like Ricky mentioned. So they're behind the eight ball already offensively. Um, defensively as the game went on, obviously there were kind of more and more injuries that continued to pile up, but I thought the defense played really well, but yeah, let's call it what it is. I mean, Virginia tech goes into this game with Quincy Patterson who couldn't even sniff playing time a month ago, you know, Virginia tech, they've come a long way from the team that played against Furman from the team that struggled against Rhode Island. Even, um, this is a team right now that is gaining confidence each and every week, regardless of the result. And I think when you go into South Bend and you play a top 20 team who outgains you offensively and outclasses you in, in a lot of cases offensively, but you're still able to hang into the game because your defense is playing so well, I think that can be nothing taken away. Like taking that game and moving it into the context of, of the rest of the season and what's remaining in the ACC now with four conference games down the stretch and the coastal division still wide open for the Hokies to take. It's nothing but positives for Virginia tech. I think heading throughout the rest of the year, you can't come away anything but encouraged in my opinion, considering what they were up against going in this game. It's tough, right? Because Notre Dame was a game that we all thought we were going to lose, even going into the season, right? Going into South Bend and winning is a tough task, despite the fact that we've seen Virginia Tech do it before. I thought Virginia Tech going into this game like last week had a real good chance to hang with Notre Dame, but I didn't think that they would ultimately come out with a victory. I thought a victory would be covering that 17.5 point spread, but when you go into that final drive and ultimately let up the game-winning touchdown and you feel like you had that win in your grasp and you had to release it, that makes it just that much tougher. So as a fan, the win stings, but at the same time, this game doesn't have any consequences in the ACC. And we saw this young group go to a legendary college football environment and hang in there and ball out. And that's got to be encouraging. So though the ride home from South Bend for those who drove must have been a longer one than they anticipated, I think it was a good game. The Notre Dame guys were juniors and seniors that were probably five-star recruits coming out of high school. And our guys hung in with them. Ricky, how how were they able to do that? Virginia Tech's defense played a lot better in this game than I expected them to. Um, Part of that is because I think we all had a higher opinion of Ian Book than we should. Uh, It gets kind of surprising to see how much he's regressed, even just compared to last year when he came into Lane Stadium and really, really helped torch the Hokies on the field. Um, Ian Book is not the same guy that he was last year. The Notre Dame offense struggled way too much, um, at least in their eyes, and they've got to be pretty disappointed with how they played. 
But you have to give credit to Virginia Tech's defense. They didn't get beat over the top all that much. They held the running game really uh, about as well as anyone could expect. And if it weren't for, in my opinion, some really, really bad uh, play calling uh, on the defensive side of the ball, I think they win this game. Um, We've seen this so many times this year, right? Bud Foster playing rushing three guys and dropping eight. And I understand that he wants to have as much help on the back end as humanly possible. But at some point, you've got to take some chances. And I think Virginia Tech is really hamstringing themselves in these situations because they're just giving up constant, constant yardage. And eventually, your guys are going to get tired out. And it got to the point where, thanks to injuries, Virginia Tech was defending uh, uh, Notre Dame's final possession with two backup cornerbacks. Um, I think at some point, if you're Bud Foster, you need to dial up some pressure and trust that you're going to be able to get pressure on Ian Book with five or maybe even six guys. You can't continue to continue to rush three and expect the back end to hold up and expect to not give up all these constant yardage when you're allowing everything seven yards and under to go ahead and, and be a successful play. It was really disappointing to see how Virginia Tech finished that game, the fact that they gave up back-to-back 80-yard-plus drives, one of which ended in a missed field goal, and the other one obviously was a game-winning touchdown. And we'll get to the refs in just a second, but Mike, to Ricky's point, it did seem that throughout that final drive, Bud Foster called exclusively prevent defenses. He put a lot of guys in the defensive backfield, only rushing three guys, no pressure really at all whatsoever from Virginia Tech. It's fair to assess that a lot of that may have had to do with the ejection of Jermaine Waller. You put in Jovan Quillen, who's just simply not the same level cornerback, and you don't want to risk putting him in a one-on-one situation and having him be, you know, just outclassed athletically, what one could say. Was that a risk worth taking, though, on a final drive where you kind of allowed Notre Dame to nickel and dime down the field? Hindsight being 2020, Mike, should Bud Foster have dialed up some different defenses, or do you respect his decision for what he did last Saturday? While it was happening, I understood why he was doing it, but you know, I'm not asking him to rush five, six, seven guys. I'm asking him to rush four, right? Like, look, Virginia Tech didn't get home a lot in this game to Ian Book, but he was uncomfortable throughout a majority of the football game when he was passing the football. You asked, you know, in the prior question, Andrew, what I was most impressed with, and I would actually say the front seven, because even though they didn't get home to Ian Book, they made it uncomfortable on him throwing the football throughout much of this football game. And more importantly, I thought they did a very good job against Notre Dame's rushing attack. Um, And I think that's my biggest takeaway is Virginia Tech's ability to stop the run. Um, Rayshard Ashby has been a stud all year long, but you know, I think Dax Hollyfield is quietly getting better <laughs> as the weeks wear on. Um, he obviously was pretty was not playing well in September. Uh, he was playing pretty poorly, actually. Let's call it what it is. Um, but he's steadily improving as the year goes on, becoming more like the guy we saw last year when he was a freshman. I think Virginia Tech's linebacker group has a pretty bright future, but I don't really understand why Bud Foster didn't bring more pressure on the final drive. I do understand what he's saying when he says he doesn't want to leave his young corners on an island, especially when you have a handful of guys from the second unit out there trying to defend Notre Dame on the final drive of a road game to protect the lead. I get all that, but you ended up with the same result, right? I mean, you were trying to guard against them getting beat, but you ended up getting beat in the process. I I would have brought four, maybe five guys, even a couple of times. And 
the one thing that is overlooked here is, and it's been overlooked this week, I think when a lot of people are talking about the result of the football game is the fact that, you know, Bud Foster was completely wrong with the play calling on the final drive. And, and I subscribe to that as well. I think he should have brought more pressure, but you know, Notre Dame also converted on multiple fourth down uh, plays there on the final drive at fourth and four, I think and a fourth and six play, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, at some point you got to tip your cap to them as well and what they were able to accomplish on the final drive, making some plays when it counted. Um, and, I, and I think that stands for something as well. You know, Virginia Tech's defense is the reason why they were even in the game in the first place. I have trouble overall just torching Bud Foster on this. I don't agree with what he did on the final drive, but, you know, the way that he called the game from start to finish is really the only reason Virginia Tech was in this football game, considering what they were up against on offense and how they struggled to manufacture points. So it's disappointing. It's tough. Um, I do wish he brought more pressure on the last drive of the game. I do think it would have helped hindsight 2020, but you know, overall, I think you have to be happy with how the defense performed. And, you know, it is a disappointing result, but to even be in this game and have an opportunity is a testament to how well the defense played. Ricky, going back to last season, the beginning of this season, you've been very vocally critical about this defense. But from what we saw on Saturday, this defense is markedly improved. I know Notre Dame's offense isn't all that great, but this group has improved leaps and bounds from the group that was getting absolutely torched last year. How do you assess this defense's performance, and what did they do so well that allowed them to have Virginia Tech hang in this game despite a lackluster performance offensively? Well, they played a bad offense. Notre Dame's offense isn't very good, and I think that we have to take that into account. But Caleb Farley's gotten a lot better, and he's turned into a very solid cornerback in the ACC. Uh, He's a guy that really does have pro potential given his measurables and things like that. But his overall talent level is is there. He's starting to become a bit more polished, and he's able to, to take on number one receivers for opposing offenses, and that's something he just simply wasn't ready for last year. Rayshard Ashby is obviously a tank in the middle of the defense, and he's even better than he was last year. Like Mike uh, mentioned, Dax Hollyfield seems to have turned a bit of a corner. And even though he's not the ideal guy at backer because he's not overly athletic and things like that, He's starting to to figure out how to kind of manage himself in the game and figure out how to hide a bit of his weaknesses. And you should probably credit Bud Foster for that as well, figuring out how to scheme out some of his weaknesses. I think their their interior defensive line is playing a bit better. Jared Hewitt uh, deserves a bit of credit. He's a guy that I've been very critical of because for a lot of last year and for most of this year, he just hasn't shown up. But over the last two games, he's looked a lot better and he's starting to make plays in the backfield. And when you put all that together combined with the fact that Notre Dame's offense is really, really struggling right now. uh, I I think that that's what you get in terms of what we saw on Saturday. Now they're going to have a hell of a test this week against Mikey steam and Deeks, but um, we we certainly have to give them credit for an improved performance thus far because they have looked better because against Carolina, it was very, very shaky. And I know 41 of those points, some of those came in overtime, but anytime you're giving up 40 or more, man, it's not really a good performance, but They sure showed out on Saturday. I want to turn the topic of conversation to the Virginia Tech offense. Quincy Patterson, who started the season as the third-string quarterback, gets his first start. Quite frankly, not pretty. Uh, Nine for 27 in the air, a touchdown and interception. He added 70-some-odd yards on the ground as well. I think it's pretty fair to assess that 
For a starting quarterback and a Power 5 school, Quincy was relatively ineffective against Notre Dame. Ricky, what's the best way to judge Quincy Patterson's performance against Notre Dame? I mean, it's kind of what I expected, right? I mean, he's a guy that just doesn't have this offense down, and it's as simple as that. He's not quite ready for it. He's a very talented guy. He's got a lot of skill set and things like that. His, his overall talent level is there, but he's simply not polished enough or ready enough to expect to, be con- to lead this offense to success on a consistent basis. Hendon Hooker is clearly the guy. I think if Hendon Hooker was healthy, he would have started this game. But considering the fact that this game wasn't really necessary in terms of Tech's hopes to win the ACC Coastal, uh, Justin Fuente didn't need to take that many chances, right, in terms of playing a guy who may be hobbling around on one leg. So I think Quincy did about as what I expected him to do. He's still a bit inaccurate. I don't think he's getting the ball where it needs to go all the time. But between hit the play calling, which was obviously very conservative, and also Quincy's ability to run the football, they were able to manage the offense a bit. And yes, I would have liked Cornelson to find a bit more creative ways to get Quincy quicker throws and easier throws. And I still think that Brad needs to figure that out because we don't know if Hendon's going to be healthy for this game. One would hope though, but if he isn't, they need to figure out how to get Quincy Patterson to go on the field. And we just didn't see enough quick and easy throws for Quincy on Saturday versus Notre Dame, we need to see a bit more of that if Virginia Tech's going to win this game against Wake Forest. And Mike, you were in a lot of conversations on Twitter during and after the game regarding... (laughs) That's one way to put it, Andrew. (laughs) I'm just here to pour sugar everywhere, I guess. I'm dealing with, hey man, I deal with idiots on a, on a regular basis. It was no different on Saturday. Let's put it that way. Well, yeah, you deal with us two each week, Mike. (laughs) That's very true. That's very true. But back to what I was saying earlier, a lot of people are quick to blame Fuente, Cornelson, the regime as a whole for a poor offensive performance that, I mean, it was objectively a poor offensive performance. You were quick to argue that with Quincy Patterson in there, the playbook is inherently limited, that based on where he is in his development right now, they simply can't do everything that they would do with, say, Hendon Hooker in the game. Elaborate a little bit. With a week to look back at it, do you still believe that the coaching staff does not bear the brunt of the blame for Virginia Tech's poor performance offensively? Yeah, not for this loss. I mean, I, I can point to plenty of games where they do deserve a brunt of the blame for the offensive ineffectiveness. This is not one of them. Um, Notre Dame's defense, despite what they showed against Michigan in the week prior, is a very good defense. Virginia Tech is inherently limited throwing the football with Quincy Patterson. I mean, that's pretty apparent. Now, could the coaching staff have done a better job at getting Quincy Patterson quick passes? Absolutely, they could have. And that is on the coaching staff. But, you know, when you look at holistically from this game start to finish and you consider what Tech was up against Quincy Patterson, a quarterback, there's a reason why they didn't put the ball in the air a ton. Quincy Patterson was four for 17 passing in the first half. I get that there were a handful of passes that should have been caught. Um, A few balls were dropped, but the stats are the stats. He was four for 17 passing in the first half. He was nine for 28 on the game. Um, overall this season, he's only completed about a third of his passes. There's a reason for that is because he's not very polished as a thrower. I think Quincy Patterson is a gamer. I think he's got a bright future. I think he's extremely athletic and he's extremely talented. And that doesn't mean that he can't become an effective quarterback for the Hokies in the future, but he's just not there yet. And that was my argument. And it's really tough to, 
to blame the coaching staff for a guy making his first career start, throwing nine for 28, going four of 17 passing in the first half, and then saying they should have thrown it more. I, I don't buy that, right? I, I don't. I'm sorry. Um, the, the other side of it, too, is that, okay, well, Fuente is a quarterback guru, so he should have Quincy Patterson ready to go. Quincy Patterson entered this year as a third stringer for a reason, right? Name outside of a handful of programs in America, all of which are elite and contending for a college football playoff spot. Can you name me programs where the third stringer is as ready to play as the starter? Because I certainly can't. So I, I just don't buy. I don't buy the um, the blame on Fuente and Cornelson for this loss in particular. Um, again, I've been a guy who's been critical of the play calling in the past. I, I do think Brad Cornelson could have done a better job in this particular game to scheme up some easier throws for Quincy Patterson. But with that being said, I don't think that's the reason why the Hokies lost. I think the Hokies lost to a more talented team in Notre Dame. You know, Virginia Tech, by the way, had the lead going into the final drive, right? It's not like the, uh, you know, despite all the ineffectiveness of the offense, they still held the lead in the final drive and the defense is the unit that gave up the touchdown, right? So, you know, it's a team loss. It's obviously a very difficult loss. People were fired up about it, but I think when you look at it and what Virginia Tech was up against, I have a hard time putting this on the coaching staff because, again, you know, think about the job that the coaching staff has done over the last month or so to put Virginia Tech in this position. You know, they switched quarterbacks to Hendon Hooker, something that probably should have been done earlier. But then when you consider all of – you take everything into account, you consider the way Ryan Willis played at the end of last year, considering how he looked in training camp, by all accounts, he looked pretty good. Why wouldn't Ryan Willis be the starter heading into the season, considering how he how he filled in a year ago? Now, again, Ryan Willis probably should have been replaced a little bit earlier. Everybody's saying, oh, Hendon Hooker should have been the starter all along. I mean, Willis is the experienced starter. There's a reason why he was the guy to start game one, and they probably should have had a quicker trigger, and that's absolutely on the coaching staff considering how well Hendon Hooker has played. He's more ready than a lot of people expect him to be. That's absolutely on the coaching staff, but I have a hard time putting this loss in particular on Justin Fuente and Brad Cornelson. Um, I thought Bud Foster did an outstanding job throughout the entirety of the game. It was a rough final drive, obviously, but when you consider how the team played, how they responded, how hard they're playing for this coaching staff, and the fact that they're in games now that they probably had no business being in, um, um, even considering a month ago with how poorly they were playing, I think they're clearly taking steps in the right direction. It's a young defense that's improving, young offense that I believe is improving under Hendon Hooker. There's just a lot to be excited about moving throughout the final four games of the year, which, let's be honest, they'll tell us a lot about the trajectory of the program moving forward. Real quick, there's a lot to be critical of Justin Fuente and Brad Cornelson about. This ain't it, Chief. Yep. He's a he's a, a third-string quarterback who just got elevated to the backup role. If you're going to be willing to criticize Justin Fuente, which I certainly am, you need to be willing to give him credit when credit is due. Yep. And he deserves credit for the trajectory he's he's got this team embarked on for the last month. And he deserves a bit of credit for getting Quincy Patterson ready to play a ranked team on the road in a hard place to play when he's really only been getting first team reps for a week or two. Yep. And Hey, one, one more thing real quick. Patterson didn't throw the ball all that great in this football game. But what I was impressed with is that the fact he had it, what felt like commanded the offense, right? He seemed comfortable under center. And I think the coaching staff deserves a lot of credit for that as well. I value intellectual honesty as a very important thing. And I'm not one that's just going to scream fire the coach. I'm not one that's going to praise him regardless I think there's Fuente truthers and Fuente haters. 
the right place to be is somewhere in between. When they play well, when you go to South Bend and you play Notre Dame to a one-point game with your third-string quarterback, and I know people say, that's not your third-string quarterback because he was starting the game. Well, no, before the season, they put him as QB number three. This is a quarterback that, as we have seen, was clearly flawed, and Justin Fuente and Brad Cornelson and Bud Foster got them to the point where they had the opportunity to win a game in South Bend against a ranked Notre Dame team that was starting primarily juniors and seniors that were much higher recruits than our guys were coming out. And our guys are right now freshmen and sophomore juniors. You got to give Fuente credit where it's due. And I think that this game was one that he clearly did deserve credit. One group of people on the field that did not deserve credit, however, was the referees. And they blew calls on both sides. The targeting penalty that got Jermaine Waller kicked out of the game. The kick into the end zone with the one-yard line thing, hard to explain, could have been a safety. The uh, roughing the quarterback that ultimately ends up negating an interception. These are all glaring things. And they got ones wrong for Notre Dame, too. But the rumblings on Twitter have been out there. People are out for the ref's head. Boys, I want to ask both of you, do you blame the officiating for Virginia Tech losing this football game? I don't. I I mean, it's it's a tough roughing the passer call. Um, that, that was obviously a pretty brutal call. I think the... Um, I, it's tough, right? Because you, you come out of this game you know, so close to winning it. Right. And you see a couple of questionable calls, uh, go in the opponent's favor. And then all of a sudden you're feeling like chances were taken away from you. Right. But I thought the officiating was objectively terrible on both sides. So I'm not going to to blame the officiating for this loss. I think if you're going to blame the officiating for this loss, you have to also blame the Virginia tech offense for being outgained by over 200 yards. That's just my opinion. Yeah, Virginia Tech didn't lose this game because of the officiating. The, the rough in the passer call against Jared Hugh was absolutely terrible. Um, it's probably one of the worst calls I've seen this year. But it, I think it kind of brings up a, a larger conversation about the state of officiating really across all sports, professionally and college. It seems like there's just really, really bad calls in every sport, every night, every week. And I don't know if there's ever going to be a time where we have confidence in the refs, right? I mean, it seems like every season you can at least have five to ten calls that you can remember in your head for a calendar year that just were absolutely atrocious. But no, Virginia Tech didn't lose this game because of the officiating. They lost this game because at the end the defense just couldn't get a stop on fourth down. They gave up back-to-back 80-yard drives. That's exactly why they lost. It, It is what it is. You can be mad at the officiating, but you certainly can't blame it on that. This question seems a little bit obvious, so we'll try to keep it brief. But based on what we saw in South Bend, is it safe to say that it's not Quincy time? At least not right now. Oh, yeah. Hooker time, well, maybe. Well, I mean, I certainly can. Now, I have a friend of mine who has covered the team for the collegiate times in the past, so I really do trust him. But he still thinks that Quincy is possibly the guy who should be starting now i get that quincy has a higher upside i understand that but hendon hooker has done more than anyone could have expected and there's no reason that he shouldn't be the starter moving forward um he's he's been absolutely excellent and he deserves to keep his job as long as he's healthy yep 
Well, interestingly enough, and you heard it here first, I have boots on the ground that have told me that Quincy Patterson has been taking some first-team reps. Now, that doesn't guarantee that he's the starter. It might be injury-related, but if, still definitely something to look at. If Quincy starts against Wake Forest, I will 100% bet on them to, to lose. I will, too. We will get to that shortly, but for all intents and purposes, let's assume that Hendon Hooker is going to start. I think he'll be off that knee injury, but definitely something to look at with Quincy. I want to take a look at things holistically for a second. We kind of come back to this question every week, but obviously a lot has changed since that debacle against Duke. Tech has looked much better. The experience that these younger guys have gotten is clearly starting to show you see less mistakes, and the overall product on the field has been a mile better than what we saw against Boston College, against Duke, against Furman, and so on and so forth. Given the upward tick of this team, do you believe, Ricky LeBlue, that they have a serious shot to compete for a division championship? We know they control their own destiny, but do they have a serious shot to compete in the Coastal Division? Well, yeah, they can by default, just because the conference is so packed. They already are. Um, yeah, yeah, right. And... Uh, from from what I've read and the math checks out, if Virginia Tech loses against Wake Forest, they still control their own destiny. They they went out, they beat Pittsburgh, they beat Georgia Tech, they beat Virginia. They would lead the pack at three losses, and they would have the tiebreakers necessary. Beautiful. So ultimate, ultimately, the Wake Forest game actually doesn't even matter in the ACC Coastal, which is pretty crazy, right? But no, the, the, the game's definitely going to matter. Look, Virginia Tech's chances are probably one in – one in five, maybe one in four, something along those lines. I don't think they're going to have enough to get this one done. Even if they beat Virginia, I still don't feel all that confident that they're going to be in a position to win that game and, and, and win the Coastal. It's certainly possible, but even if they do find themselves in that position, beating Virginia is going to be just as hard this year as it was last year. Uh, Virginia is no joke. They just beat Carolina by, by a touchdown at home, or excuse me, on the road. Uh, Virginia Tech, like I said, probably has a one in five, one in four chance of winning this division. And at this point, who knows? The coastal is so wild and and stupid and funny and lovable that who knows what the hell is going to happen in this division. Mike, Ricky says that the Hokies have a one in four, one in five chance of winning the coastal. And I don't necessarily disagree, but does anyone else really have that much of a better chance? <laughs> I mean, UVA is the only team. I mean, Georgia Tech's out. I mean, not out mathematically, ironically. They're they're not eliminated <laughs> yet, which is yeah. says more about yeah. They're getting there. They're close. They'll they'll be eliminated this weekend, probably. Um but have you guys seen the scenario in which everyone can finish four and four? Oh, I'm all about it. That's what I'm rooting for. <laughs> Miserable. <laughs> um yeah, I, I'm. I'm actually. I, I'm in total agreement with Ricky uh, on the on the chances of Virginia Tech winning the Coastal. Look, the Wake Forest game doesn't matter from the standpoint of winning the Coastal Division. I'm glad Ricky brought that up, but it does matter from the standpoint of continuing to build confidence because Tech is in this interesting position where they come out of a game against ranked Notre Dame on the road. They lose a heartbreaker by a point. And they still came away encouraged. I mean, the quotes coming out of the game were, hey, this team's continuing to gain confidence. That's what Justin Fuente said. Uh, Bud Foster said, hey, this team is, you know, these guys are really fighting right now, scratching and clawing. You can feel the confidence building every week. 
that doesn't sound like a team that's totally down in the dumps. Now, were they disappointed right after the loss? Yeah, they were. It was a pretty tough locker room, and they they mentioned that, right? But when you look at it from the standpoint of, you know, this team continuing to build and continuing to, you know, develop this young talent and guys continuing to get game reps and feel comfortable in the in their respective schemes, both offensively and defensively, you know, this is a really important game Saturday against Wake Forest. So, you know, Virginia Tech is in a position right now where Pittsburgh's reeling, right? Offensively, they're not very good. They're one of the worst teams in the conference offensively. They're middle of the pack team defensively. That's a really important game. Um, Incompetent defensively. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're struggling. Um, Georgia Tech's really bad, so you, but Fuente's never beaten them, right? So you got to try to find a way to win that game. And then the, UV game at the UVA game at the very end of the year, you know, it's on the road in Charlottesville, but you know a lot of Hokies will show up to that game. It's going to be a toss-up game at, at best for Tech, and they'll likely be the underdog heading into that game. It's a crapshoot in the Coastal. Tech has as good a chance as anybody, but you can't help but pin UVA as the favorite once again with how they've looked the last couple of weeks after kind of sputtering there in the middle of their schedule. Here on November 6th, are you willing to say that UVA is still the front runner in this very packed Coastal division? I mean, I am. Uh, the, they're a situation where they've already played six of their conference games. Virginia Tech is actually the only team left in the Coastal that has four conference games remaining. Every other team has either three or two. Uh, Virginia is the favorite, um, just given the schedule, given the fact that they're already at four wins. Um, they get Virginia Tech in their house, uh, which, I mean, look, it, we've all we've all made jokes about UVA attendance, but uh, they're actually showing up to UVA games this year. And good I for can't them. afford tickets they, to the game. I'm trying to go. I can't afford them. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going to be a hard ticket to find. That That's for damn sure. 100 but... bucks for upper deck seats in Scott Stadium. No thanks. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I'll end up at a bar in Charlottesville. I will say this. The, the press box at Scott Stadium is actually really, really cool. Best food in the out... country. They provide such good food. And well, it's outdoor, which is on the surface really, really bad because I've been to an outdoor press box at Bobby Dodd Stadium in Atlanta. And it was about 35 degrees that day, and with 20 mile an hour winds in my hands, about froze off my, off my arms. But at Scott Stadium, they actually have heaters in there in the press box. There, they're so nice. They're really, really good, great people. Uh, it's actually a great place to cover a game. But uh, I mean, I feel like Virginia Tech is probably the second favorite team to win this thing, which is absolutely incredible. But given how many teams are left in the in the mathematically in the ACC coastal race it's kind of hard to give Virginia Tech more than a one in four chance I don't know about you Andrew but uh, I, I feel like if I were you know a betting man that's probably where I would set the odds at I mean I'm not going to put Tech as the favorite just based on the way that there's been no semblance of consistency among any of these teams I think it's got to be a crapshoot you know at the same time with every strength that we see in a coastal team there seems to be a glaring weakness as well Let's take UVA, for example, because they're the supposed favorite in the Coastal right now. Obviously, Bryce Perkins is a good player. He's playing behind an offensive line that really can't block anyone. I watched the entirety of the UVA-UNC game, and Bryce Perkins played out of his mind. But he hasn't played consistently like that all season. He hasn't been the Bryce Perkins, the Heisman dark horse contender that was advertised this year. I'm not saying UVA is not a good team. I'm just saying they're not world beaters. I don't see any world beaters in this Coastal division. I'm also here to tell you that if Wake beats Tech and then Wake beats Clemson and then Tech wins out, we'll have a Wake Tech ACC championship game. Hmm?
Which would be nuts, but... I'm just uh, saying, if that uh, happens, it's hard to beat the same team, team twice. Book your Orange Bowl tickets, boys and girls. Let's go. <laughs> oh, boy. That is That might be the rosiest outlook on the Virginia Tech season I've heard in a while. It's just a possibility. I'm not saying that that's going to happen. That would be an outlandish take. But I did give the same little spiel on the radio today. And at the end, I put the cherry on top. I topped it off by saying that if Tech won the ACC, they would be the first four-loss team to ever make the college football playoff. I was joking, but the phone lines lit up. People were like, you got to be kidding. I'm like, yes, I, I'm kidding. <laughs> yes, I actually am kidding. Thank you. Thank you for the reminder. No, I mean, it's it, – this whole Coastal is just stupid. It's it's incredible that we have a three – you know, th- there's a really good chance that the winner of the division has a three-loss team, right, in, in terms of ACC play. Statistically speaking, it's more than likely. Yeah, that, that that's the probable outcome, which is absolutely incredible. And uh, it, it's actually unfortunate for Clemson right now because even though there's two uh, Big Ten teams and two uh, SEC teams in the playoff, Clemson kind of needs to show up, right, to get into the top four. And they're not going to have a chance to pick up a really, really good win in the conference title game, uh, maybe like an Ohio State or a Penn State or uh, BAM or LSU will have that opportunity. Virginia Tech or excuse me, Clemson is either going to face UVA, which is borderline top 25. They could face Virginia Tech, which I don't even want to think of them being ranked at this point. They could face Pittsburgh, which will not sniff the top 25 for the rest of the season. So this whole ACC is just nuts. And it kind of goes back to the fact that the ACC is probably the worst power, the worst power five conference in the country. And the ACC Coastal is definitely the worst power five division. I have one for the both of you, and, and it's a yes or no question, a thumbs up, thumbs down, a true or false, and I want it quickly. Here's the statement. Justin Fuente will be the coach of the Virginia Tech Hokies during the 2020 season. Agree. And that speaks to how far we've come. All right, boys, let's move on to the Wake Forest game, right? Because that's that's the topic at hand. Wake comes in, the number 19 team in the land, a 7-1 and one record on the year, 3-1 and one in the ACC. Their one loss came against Louisville. They lost in a 62-59 shootout where the Wake Forest defense just looked exposed. They gave up 520 yards of total offense. Scary thing was Wake actually outgained them. This Wake team is just simply built correctly. They got a ton of redshirt seniors, a ton of regular seasons, basically an upperclassman-related team. Jamie Newman waited in the wings. He is now, you know, statistically one of the best quarterbacks in the ACC. If you're Virginia Tech, who only has to play Wake Forest, what, once every five years based on the way that ACC scheduling works, you got to be a little bummed out that you got Wake in their best season in years. But Wake is, quite frankly, no slouch this year. Mike McDaniel, as Wake Forest's number one fan, number one proponent, tell our listeners what Wake Forest brings to the table when they come to Lane Stadium on Saturday. Outstanding offense. Like, a group of receivers that is probably second only to Clemson in the ACC. They probably have a top five or six receiving core in the nation. Um, really, really good receivers. Um, Kendall Hinton, a former quarterback, is their slot guy, but he's been outstanding. Uh, Scotty Washington's been really good. Sage Surratt, brother of Chaz Surratt from UNC, really, really good. I mean, they have some pl- they have some ball players at receiver. Jamie Newman's been outstanding. He already talked about where he ranks statistically in regards to the rest of the ACC. Um, the, the running game is good, not great. 
defensively, they're atrocious. They're one of the worst teams in college football defensively. Um, they're certainly one of the worst teams in the conference defensively, if not the worst team in the conference defensively. They've really struggled on that side of the football all year long. Despite being 7-1 and one and being a team that's scoring a bunch of points and you know getting into shootouts, their defense has actually held them back from being a true a true threat, maybe not to Clemson, but a, a true threat in regards to, um, you know, maybe a New Year's six, even if Wake makes it to a New Year's six, they can score with anybody, but defensively they can't stop anybody. So their ceiling's inherently limited um, to being like a top 15 team, which at Wake Forest is pretty outstanding. But the reason why Virginia Tech has a chance to win this football game is because Wake Forest is so bad defensively that, you know, if Virginia Tech can keep this from getting into a shootout. It's a big ask, right, for a defense that's been, let's just call it iffy, right? Some games are great. Some games are great. Some games are really, really terrible. If they can just play a little bit above average in this football game and protect the football and keep it out of the hands of the Wake Forest offense, Virginia Tech certainly has the ability at home to keep this game close, but they're up against it this week because this offense Wake Forest is no joke. Redshirt sophomore Sage Surratt, the wide receiver for Wake Forest, has been one of the big surprises for the Demon Deacons this year. Now, this wasn't the highly recruited guy out of high school. Had on offer from UNC, Wake, also Harvard and Yale, but certainly not a guy that popped up on a lot of people's radars. As a whole, the Wake Forest wide receiving core also very good. But, you know, it helps when you have a quarterback like Jamie Newman throwing the ball. Do you look to how it affects Tech? Jermaine Waller, because of the targeting penalty, will not be allowed to play in the first half of this game against Wake Forest. How much is that going to negatively affect Tech with their cornerback 1A alongside Caleb Farley, but he won't be able to play? The backups will be in. How much of a problem is that for Virginia Tech? Well, it makes it really thin. So if anybody goes down, they're in big trouble. Caleb Farley, if he's if he's healthy, which I think he is, uh, he'll be able to to man one side of the field. Uh, then you're in a situation where you probably have to play Armani Chapman, who, as we've seen, or if you haven't seen on Twitter, he's actually graded out as one of the better uh, cornerbacks last week uh, in the ACC. I think he had one of the highest grades on the team in terms of pro football focus. So um, he's definitely coming along. Justin Fuente praised him in the press conference this week. Armani is probably the, the second guy um, with Waller going down. Yeah, Virginia Tech has to turn to Jovan Quillen. They're in trouble. I like Jovan Quillen. He's a great kid, but he needs to be relegated to special teams, and he needs to be playing on the defensive side of the ball as sparingly as possible. He simply cannot cover as well as he needs to at the ACC level, uh, especially against the Wake Forest group, which, as you guys have already mentioned, this unit's really, really good. Um, but not having Jermaine Waller for the first half certainly could pose all sorts of problems. And if Wake Forest gets out to a really hot start where they're able to put up two or three touchdowns in a quarter and a half, uh, Virginia Tech's going to be in a really, really bad spot, especially if Andrew, like you mentioned, Quincy's been taking first team reps in practice this week. Mike, where does this Wake game rank in the hierarchy of Tech opponents so far this season? And they're honestly the opponents to come. We know that Tech plays Wake at Lane. I don't know how much of a difference that would make if that game was on the road. Obviously, being at Lane helps Wake Forest not an incredibly difficult place to play. But obviously, we're just coming off of Notre Dame. Outside of Notre Dame, is Wake Forest the most difficult opponent that Tech is going to have to face this season? I mean, as far as 
difficulty thus far. I put Wake Forest behind Notre Dame. Um, <clears throat> I mean, the Tech hasn't had that tough of a schedule, right? Like, you look at the schedule top to bottom, it's hard not to put Wake up near the top. Um, and Wake Forest, you know, despite only have one loss, and we joke all the time about how good I think they are, like, despite all of that, from from a pure talent standpoint, Virginia Tech should hang on the field with Wake Forest. But Wake Forest has a team that's more developed, a team that's, by all indications, better coached. Um, this is one of Tech's toughest games all year. And you do get it at home, which is why I'd rank it behind Notre Dame. I think going on the road to South Bend is a tougher task. But, you know, you consider some of these games, right, like, on paper, going into the year, we are talking about Miami, Notre Dame, UVA, and someone else being, like, the tough games, right? That someone else might be Wake Forest, and Miami turned out to be not nearly as good as we thought. You know, you consider Notre Dame not necessarily being elite, elite good this year, but still a very good football team. Tech played them to the wire. We'll see what happens with Wake Forest, and of course, we'll see what happens with UVA. But, you know, if you're looking for that one other team that could really you know, scare, scare tech and put the fear of God in them. Right. I think wake is that wake is that other team outside of the three that we mentioned. It's not Duke, despite what Duke did to Virginia tech uh, at the end of September, it's not Duke. Like Duke is not that team. Duke's not very good. Um, wake force is a much tougher opponent than Duke is. They're much better coach. They're, they're better across the board, offensively, defensively, and special teams. It's, it's without question, uh, Tech's second toughest opponent behind Notre Dame, in my opinion. So for me, um, I have so I have two things I want to point out. One, which it presents Wake Forest as a better team than I think we've talked about them as, and one that presents them as a worse team is better than we've talked them as. Number one, their defense statistically is not worst in the country. It's not even really in the bottom third. It's kind of in the middle. They're 47th in scoring defense. They're allowing less than 25 points a game. They're 69th in total defense, which isn't good, but it's certainly not bottom third. Their third down defense, their opposing offenses are only converting 31.9% of opposing third downs, which is actually tied for 20th in the country, so that's pretty damn impressive. And then they're kind of middle of the road in terms of big plays allowed. They've allowed 37 plays at 20 yards or more, which is tied for 56, though. This Wake defense, though it's not good, it certainly, in terms of of the statistics, is not one of the worst in the country. And if Virginia Tech isn't able to get anything going offensively and they have to turn to Quincy Patterson, we actually might see a pretty impressive Wake performance. Now, the other thing I want to bring up is Wake Forest schedule. Okay, uh, We all thought Virginia Tech's schedule was bad. Wake Forest schedule is absolutely horrendous. This schedule is is something you would see from like a Mac team, okay? So they they opened the year versus Utah State. Then they got to play Rice on the road, which isn't scary. Then they have Carolina. Then they get Elon. And then they get BC, Louisville, Florida State, and NC State, all of whom are disappointing at best and bad at worst. Uh, Wake Forest hasn't beaten anybody. They haven't played anybody. And I don't think Virginia Tech should be scared of a team that the, whose best win is what? I don't know. It's Carolina. Is it, is it, same as Tech. Is it Carolina? Yeah, it, it would have to be Carolina. And Carolina ain't that good. 
Carolina's hasn't lost an ACC game by more than seven points, but Carolina's not winning that many games. So it's not like Carolina's a, a big team. So even though Wake Forest is only has one loss on the season and they're ranked, if you look at that schedule, none, nothing on there really, really scares me. Mike, I want to ask you this question because you're more plugged into this Wake Forest program than the majority of reporters nationally. Dave Clawson took over a Wake program that was really a perpetual bottom dweller in the ACC. Here we are a few years later. Wake has their own little bull streak going. It's November. They're number 22 in the country, and they have the opportunity to come into Lane Stadium as the favorite, possibly pull out a win, and go into this game against Clemson 8-1 and one, with an opportunity to control their own destiny in the ACC Atlantic. What has Clawson done to make that possible in Winston-Salem? The best thing that happened to Dave Clawson was having John Wolford develop from his junior year to his senior year a few years back. That started to spark the offense of Wake Forest, right? Wake Forest, throughout his first few years during his tenure in Winston-Salem, was not a very good offense, right? They were actually relying a ton on their defense to keep them in games, uglying games up and, and trying to keep it relatively competitive, right? And, you know, there came a point in John Wolford's development where he took that leap from his junior year to his senior year. They adjusted the offense slightly, inserted more spread concepts through the air. It really, really helped play the John Wolford skill set. They went from that to... Sam Hartman a year ago, who then got hurt, Jamie Newman comes in, plays outstanding football, and now you have Jamie Newman there. They're going to redshirt Sam Hartman. It, it was just really like a quarterback. It was a slight change in offensive philosophy, and it was a quarterback change, and it was a quarterback development before that quarterback change a year ago that really led to this Wake Forest program taking off. Um they're coached extremely well, and they don't turn the football over a ton. And when you do that, you always give yourself a chance, no matter who you're playing. Wake Forest, I mean, they have one loss because of their record alone. They're not a one or two loss team if they're playing a tougher schedule than they're playing right now. Some of that is out of their control. The ACC is just down this year, but some of it, ha a lot of it too, has to do with how well they've been coached. This is a good football team. To Ricky's point, this isn't a team that Virginia Tech should be scared of blowing them out of the water athletically, but they're good and they're well coached and they're going to present a challenge on Saturday. Ricky, give me one player on both the offensive and defensive side of the ball that's going to have to step up for Virginia Tech in order for the Hokies to come out with a win on Saturday against Wake Forest. Well, is Quincy Patterson playing? Because if he is, it's going to have to be him. Uh, if he's if he's on the field on Saturday. Virginia Tech's going to need a, a game, a game from Quincy Patterson's high school days, where he was running for three or four touchdowns and throwing for another one. I mean, they're going to have to score to keep up with Wake. I don't think Wake is going to drop fifty on Virginia Tech, uh, but I could certainly see Wake dropping forty, something in the forty-one, forty-two range. So Virginia Tech's going to have to find a way to, to manufacture points, and they're going to have to keep this game close. If they get in a situation or they're trailing by two to three scores in the second half and they have to throw the ball a ton, that's not a winning formula. They need to keep this game close from the get-go. They need to make it a one-score one game really into the fourth quarter, and they need to find ways to manufacture points. If Hendon Hooker's on the field on Saturday, I feel a lot better about Virginia Tech's chances for winning this game. But if Quincy Patterson's out there, he's the guy that's going to have to get this job done. 
and he's going to have to play a whole hell of a lot better than he did against Notre Dame. In terms of defense, it, I think it's got to be Armani Chapman. He's probably the guy who's going to have to play uh, a ton of snaps in this game, and he's going to be challenged. We've already talked about how good Wake Forest receivers are. Armani's a guy who doesn't have a ton of playing experience, but he's a pretty good athlete. And judging by from what he did against Notre Dame, it seems like he's got his stuff together. So they're going to need Armani Chapman to go out there and make some plays. And if Virginia Tech can turn can turn Wake Forest over once or twice, this game is really, really different. We talked uh, on the Notre Dame pod about how important it was for Virginia Tech to turn Notre Dame over because Notre Dame was so good at taking care of the football and because there was such a big disparity in talent disparity in talent there isn't as big of a disparity in this game but it's really really important that Virginia Tech force a few turnovers Mike the makeup of these two teams is nearly polar opposite Wake Forest a team full of players that are in their fifth year in the program that have developed under Clawson guys that weren't so highly sought after coming out of high school but have been developed Virginia Tech, better recruits, significantly less experience, much younger. If you're Virginia Tech, how do you overcome that age and experience gap if you want to come away with a victory on Saturday against the Demon Deacons? Well, you got to play well at inexperienced positions to overcome that, right? So if it ends up being Quincy Patterson, he's got to play well as a wretched freshman at the quarterback position. Talk about guys like Armani Chapman. You talk about guys like Caleb Farley. Caleb Farley, as a, as a redshirt sophomore, needs to play well, right? Especially if he's following Sky Washington all over the field. He's going to have to play well. The young linebacker group is going to have to play well. Even more importantly, the young defensive line. There's no more youth on the defense than on the defensive line this year, right? Like, the defensive line is where many of these freshmen are playing, and you know, quite honestly, you got to get a pass rush on Jamie Newman. You got to stop the run. It's all going to start off like it does every game, but I think it's incredibly important for them to get after Jamie Newman in this football game because, like Ricky mentioned, it's going to be pretty tough for Virginia Tech to win this football game in a shootout. Um, Virginia Tech, I don't think offensively, even with Hendon Hooker, has enough firepower in the tank to keep up if this game gets into the 40s. Um, I think that lowers Virginia Tech's chances to win. I think Tech's best chance to win this football game is keeping it relatively low scoring because uh, otherwise I think it's going to be tough to keep up. All right, boys, and with that, we will move on to our ACC picks. We are running a little bit long right now, but we'll start it off in Chestnut Hill, Massachusetts. The Boston College Eagles will take on the recently Willie Taggartless Florida State Seminoles, their first game since they fired Taggart. Mike McDaniel, can Boston College cover this two-point spread against Florida State at home? This is a total coin flip game. I'll take BC because they haven't had the week that Florida State has had uh, with turnover on the coaching staff. From a game management standpoint, it makes things really, really difficult when you fire a coach midseason because there are things you haven't even thought of and hadn't even considered that now come to light. You know, things that you have to do on a on a day-to-day basis leading up to a game that become more difficult when you no longer have your head coach, even if he was struggling. So it, it's a tough turnaround. I'm going to take Boston College to win. I'm going with Florida State, man. They got rid of Willie. Odell Haggins is leading the show now. He's a respectable guy. Florida State is clearly the more talented team. I don't trust Boston College in any scenario, so I'm going to go with Florida State to win this game. Now, keep in mind for Boston College, this win would equal win number six. And bowl eligibility, of course, which is a big thing if you're Steve Adazio and the guys up there. And given their upcoming schedule, I think this is probably 
their best chance to do it, maybe even their final chance to get that bowl eligibility. But regardless of that, I'm going to take the Seminoles. I'm going to take the talent. I don't really like Boston College without Anthony Brown. That's a bad ACC team. Quite frankly, a team that even with Anthony Brown, Virginia Tech should not have lost to. I do have some gripes with the firing of Willie Taggart. I don't think he was given a fair shake. It was a program that he inherited with a bad culture, and like Kirk Herbstreit highlighted, that culture got worse. Regardless, a new respectable head coach in there for them like Ricky said I'll take the Knowles in this game but whoever's going to take this Florida State job the culture is so bad it is going to require a deep rebuild and a very serious candidate to do it moving on in Charlottesville the Who's 15 point favorites against Georgia Tech Mike what do you think got UVA winning and covering um, the over under I think is 46 in this game if you're in that sort of thing I take the under I don't see Georgia Tech scoring all that much and I don't think Virginia scores more than 30 points in this game uh, I like UVA to win and cover here, and I really, really like the under if you're in that sort of thing. Rico. I'm going to go with Virginia as well. Georgia Tech's bad. It's as simple as that. And I'll take the rambling wreck from Georgia Tech. How about that? How about that? All right, on to Miami and Louisville. Miami, a six-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Surprising, because Louisville's playing pretty well this season in the first year of the Scott Satterfield era. Mike, do you think the Cardinals can come? I don't understand why Louisville's a a six-and-a-half-point favorite here. There's nothing that they've done this year that makes me think they're a whole touchdown better uh, than Louisville. I like the way Louisville's playing offensively and defensively this year. I mean, they're already up to five wins in year one under Scott Satterfield. The cupboard wasn't left bare there from an athletic standpoint, right? They had talent on that roster, but... I mean, they were so bad a year ago that I thought even for Satterfield and the culture that he was bringing in, it would still be pretty tough in year one, considering what they had to establish there as a baseline. But um, I don't see how Miami wins this game more than a touchdown, even if you do take them to win. So I'm going to take Louisville here against the spread, and I actually would like them to win this game outright. Yeah, I like Louisville to win this one straight up as well. But Ricky, what do you think? I don't know if Louisville will win it straight up, but they'll certainly cover that spread. Uh, More importantly, if I have to read one more story about Miami having a players meeting and them having a come to Jesus moment and now everything's all kumbaya with the canes, I might put my head in a meat grinder. I'm absolutely over it. Yeah, no, that's the worst college football media stereotype ever, that there's these secret meetings and that everything's okay. And I you know, I never doubt that most of these teams like each other, but come on, eh? the stories, they get old after a while. Go produce on the field. Good culture shows, at least in the way that these teams carry themselves, and Miami doesn't show that. However, now to a team that does produce on the field, the Clemson Tigers, now ranked fifth in the college football playoff rankings, host the North Carolina State Wolfpack. Clemson, a 34-and-a-half-point favorite in this one. Mike, does Clemson cover, and do they need to cover in order to gain some clout with this college football playoff committee? They're on the outside looking in right They're now. They're going to be in the top four next week regardless because LSU and Alabama are playing and the loser's going to fall out the top four. Clemson's going to beat NC State by more than 32 points. I like them to win and cover. NC State's on their third-string quarterback at this point. Devin Leary, he didn't look particularly good last week. They're searching for answers offensively under center. That's a bad recipe against a Clemson team that is steadily improving as the year has gone on. Defensively, they've been really good, and the offense is starting to really click. I love Clemson to cover in this game. I don't think it's particularly close. Clemson might drop 80. Dabo is going to have these boys pissed off, and you know he will. Clemson is absolutely going to run over NC State, and this game is going to be over by midway through the second quarter. 
Uh, he might call off the dogs and they won't score 80 because obviously that was an exaggeration. But no, Clemson is going to cover this spread without hesitation. Yeah, and I agree. Clemson will cover. Dabo's just too good of a coach. They're going to go out there and make a statement, even though the reality is that one of LSU has, one of LSU and Alabama has to lose. One of Penn State and Ohio State will eventually lose due to the fact that they play each other. Dabo doesn't care. But let's talk about expectations being tempered. Last week, Notre Dame, a 17.5-point favorite at home versus Tech. Now they head to the vaunted Wallace Wade Stadium following a close one with Tech and the Irish just eight-point favorites on the road. Will the Wallace Wade crowd get to them? Can Notre Dame cover this eight-point spread against Duke? Yep, they will. Um, It'll be competitive, I think, for about two, two two-and-a-half quarters. I think we'll get into the second half. And, you know, Wallace Wade's a weird place to go play at night. It's kind of like a library there, which kind of creeps teams out. Uh, Notre Dame, I think, will get right in the second half. I, I think he and Book will play better. I like Notre Dame to win and cover. I think they'll win by a couple touchdowns. Mike, how can you say that when Wallace Wade is such a vaunted place to Crazy. play? I mean, it, it's it, it's an absolute madhouse, man. That that that's one of the best environments in college football. Uh, but Notre Dame will still cover. Duke's bad. Notre Dame is not elite, but they're still good. And I would be shocked if they if the offense struggles as much as they did against Virginia Tech. I'm going to go ahead and pick the Irish to cover. Yeah, as much as I'd like to pick Duke in this one, because everyone knows I have a little secret love for Duke, but Notre Dame's just the better team, and and that will show. But now let's get to the final game that we'll pick here, the main event, 3.30 on ACC Network. The game will be played at Lane Stadium. The Wake Forest Demon Deacons visit the Virginia Tech Hokies. Wake, a three-point favorite on the road. I want a score prediction. I want, will they cover, and will they win? Mike McDaniel, you can go first on this one. All right, so I'll give you the Hendon Hooker score if he's playing, he's healthy, which doesn't sound like it's necessarily the case, but let's say Hendon Hooker is able to play and he's as effective as he looked before he got injured. Um, I think this game stays close. I think Virginia Tech wins, actually, if Hendon Hooker plays. Uh, This is the – assuming Virginia Tech plays a defense similar to the one that they played last weekend in South Bend, uh, you know, I think Virginia Tech's defense can absolutely slow down or at least make it a little bit more difficult on Wake Forest. This would be one of the tougher games that Wake has played. Um, If that were the case and Virginia Tech's defense were to play well, a lot of ifs in that statement. Uh, But I think Hendon Hooker – you know, brings a different element to the offense through the air. And I think that's what's most important in this game. I think Virginia Tech would actually win this game with Hendon Hooker at quarterback. With Quincy Patterson, I'm not sure the Hokies have much of a chance. And that's not as slight at at Quincy Patterson. I just think they're inherently limited in the passing game. Um, And I think if Wake Forest is able to slow down the run even a little bit, it's going to get this Hokies defense tired because the Hokies defense will be on the field a ton if Wake Forest were to make that happen. and because it seems like it could be trending in that direction, I'm going to take Wake Forest to win and cover. I think Tech keeps it relatively close, but I think at the end of the day, if Quincy Patterson's the quarterback, Virginia Tech's going to lose more games than they win at this point in his career. I just don't think he's ready for, for the spotlight as a full-time starter. So if Mike Bedaniel gets to cheat and give you two different scenarios, I'm going to cheat and give you two different scenarios. If Hendon Hooker plays, uh, Virginia Tech will win this game. Uh, Wake hasn't played anybody. This is the best team that Wake's played all season, which is absolutely incredible to think, given the fact that Virginia Tech just is kind of a, a middling team. Uh, I think I think Virginia Tech will win this game by maybe four, 
maybe something along the lines of 35, 31, something in that range. If Quincy Patterson plays, I also think Virginia Tech will lose this game. It'll probably be something along the lines of 38 to 20, 27, 28. Um, Virginia Tech would lose by probably two scores. So a lot of this is going to depend on the health of Hennon Hooker. If Hennon Hooker's out there, Virginia Tech's chances of winning go way up. If he's on the bench holding the clipboard, Virginia Tech's chances of winning go way down. I will say that Tech will win by three if Hendon Hooker plays. He'll lose by 10 if Quincy Patterson is the starter. But that'll do it for us. For Ricky LeBlue and Mike McDaniel, I am Andrew Alex. We'd like to thank you for joining the Hokie Hangover podcast. If you like what you're listening to, please don't forget to subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Hokie Hangover and tell a friend. Tell your friends from college Give us something, you know, we want to spread the good word about this podcast. We will be back to recap the Wake Forest game, to preview the Georgia Tech game, and we hope that you come back and join us for it. Until then, we hope you have a pleasant evening. We hope the Hokies take care of business on Saturday. Go Hokies.